What is up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of Bikini Things. You have your girl, Laura, here in the home studio. And today I'm going to be doing a quick Q&A. Sammy is with family this weekend, or was with family this weekend. So she and I will be putting out the next episode together. But today is just going to be a one-on-one Q&A episode. I collected a bunch of questions from Instagram, uh, question boxes and things like that. So I'm just going to be going through them here in the home studio, you know, just chit-chatting it up. So let's get right to it. And if I'm looking off to the side, it's because I've got all the questions pulled up for privacy. I didn't want to um, reveal which of my Instagram followers or friends asked the questions. So the first one was, when did I know I was ready to leave my full-time job to pursue personal training? So I left my full-time job, which was project management in engineering in March of 2022. But prior to that, I was online coaching since probably February or March of 2017. And even before that, I was in-person personal training from uh, fall of 2014, like maybe October, November of 2014. Or no, no, excuse me, maybe like spring of 2015 until spring of 2018, I was doing some personal training part-time. So I built up a lot of experience, even though it was part-time, in those years. And even prior to that, I was a group exercise instructor uh, in grad school starting around 2013, 20, 2012, 2013. And then I got my PT certification in 2014. So I, by the time I was ready to leave my engineering job, number one, my coaching business grew a lot in 2021. So during 2020, during, you know, everything that was going on with the Rona and whatnot, I didn't really have many clients and I wasn't really pushing it or advertising it. I was like many people, I was struggling a lot with my mental health at the time. So it just wasn't something I was pushing. It's very focused on myself and that was fine. I had a few clients here and there throughout that year. So in 2021, I think there was a lot of suppressed demand and all of a sudden my coaching business grew really rapidly. And, you know, I was making probably like 5k a month part-time with not a crazy number of clients charging a very reasonable rate for coaching. And if you have a good coach, who's very thorough and very personalized, and my clients were getting weekly phone calls with me, um, you know, a few hundred bucks a month is a pretty reasonable rate. If you've got someone good, um, coaches are also not good. We'll charge that too. But if you've got someone good, you're really getting what you're paying for. And my, my desire as a coach is to always deliver more value than what my clients are actually paying for. And I think that's why I've been able to do what I do. So anyway, so I was making about 5k a month and I kind of sat down and sort of probably a thousand times on paper. And this is what I would encourage you to do. If this is what you're thinking, my dear, really map out your expenses. Like what are your bare bones expenses? Like your food, your transportation, your rent or mortgage, like your bare bones expenses that you will always need to pay. And then kind of map out what's your typical budget. So, you know, in a pinch, you don't need to get haircuts, but most of the time, you know, most of us ladies, we like to get our hair done sometimes. So like, what's the bare bones budget? What's the more realistic budget or comfortable budget, I should say. So map that out. Think about how your current personal training income matches up to that. And if you could easily grow it to at a minimum kind of fit your bare bones needs and, you know, could you scale it to more of a nice lifestyle where you're also saving money each month, things like that. Um, So I crunched the numbers on paper about a thousand times, figuring that out, 
And at a certain point, I think, I don't think you need to know all of the steps in the process to scale and grow a personal training business or whatever business you have. But I think you at least need a high level understanding of what's got to go on. Like, okay, how do I market myself? How do I bring on more clients? How do I scale my clients? What is, what are my day-to-day hours going to look like if I'm going to work for myself? Can I be structured enough to do what I need to do and not just spend all day watching TV or scrolling Instagram or whatever that is? So by late 2021, and even longer than that, I knew I was probably going to not be a project manager forever. It was just one of those things where I was working in very male-dominated industries, and I got kind of tired of being pigeonholed into... Like I, I just felt very pigeonholed as like the nice, agreeable, you know, on her shit, pretty girl who works in engineering or girl who works in environmental remediation or whatever. And I felt like I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't really being considered for leadership positions. I felt like I wasn't being considered for advancements, partially because I think I was very good in my role as is. And so there wasn't, there weren't any roles, there weren't any opportunities really for growth at the company I was at, which I I did love the company and the culture and the people that worked there, but there weren't any opportunities for growth. And I just felt very pigeonholed. I felt kind of like, you know, under their thumb a little bit. And I didn't, I wasn't crazy about that. And so as my business grew, I think I just could feel myself becoming more detached from my job, from my coworkers who I loved. And I could just kind of sense, I'm like, Laura, you got to make a move. It's, it's kind of now or never. And so I just, I didn't know all the steps, you guys, I knew enough, you know, I kind of prepped, um, you know, I think I made sure I was financially in a really good place before I made that move. But at some point you just got to leap and that can be a scary thing to do. And I wouldn't encourage anyone to do it without a little bit of forethought first and planning and really crunching these numbers, but it can be done. I promise you guys, if I can do it, a lot of people can do it. I think, I think I have some special characteristics, especially that project manager personality type. It really serves me well. I can work nonstop. I like to be organized. I am a good communicator. I like to think I'm a good communicator so I can work with a lot of people and personality types, but there's a lot of things I, I lack too, and other people are stronger in those areas. So anyways, I think anyone can do it if you want to. Um, okay. So the next question was, how can you manage the cost of prep from, they said from the, the food, the coach, the bikini. And I, this is a question I'm going to push back a little bit on. And this is also a former client of mine who asked this question. So I'm going to push back. So the food, I am going to argue for bikini competitors and for a lot of female bodybuilders, other divisions, wellness, figure even, maybe women's bodybuilding and women's physique, maybe not. But if you are just a bikini competitor, you guys, your food is likely cheaper being a bodybuilder than it is living a normal life. Because as a bodybuilder, you should not be going out to eat often. You should not be eating a lot of snack foods. You should not be drinking alcohol. You should be eating plain stuff like you know, chicken, turkey, fish, rice, vegetables, avocado, healthy fats, all of those things are actually quite affordable. Yes, the diet is a little more high protein, but eating out even at fast food now has become so expensive. You guys, I think food is actually cheaper when you're eating well, you're eating healthy and you're meal prepping. And there's also discount grocery stores too, like in your area, if you have an Aldi Those are extremely efficient German grocery stores where the prices are very low. They don't always have every single thing, but they're optimized for cost. Um, I love an Aldi. 
I also love Grocery Outlet here in California. We don't have those in the Midwest where I grew up, but Grocery Outlet, insane deal, same thing. They don't have every single thing every time. But so I'm going to push back. I don't think the I think the food is actually less expensive if you are eating correctly, as you should be as a bikini competitor. As far as the coach, you know that's a that's a pretty typical cost, and a good coach is going to charge probably a few hundred dollars a month. Maybe a little more if they're a very well-known coach with very proven track records like Olympia wins or many Olympian athletes that they're coaching. So this is something you just have to fit into your budget. And I think I think my guess is the bigger picture here is ladies, you know, <laughs> the reality is many of us are not managing our money. And at times I'm going to include myself in that. I think there are months where I let and I know when I competed last summer, I really let my expenses get a, get away from me. Like I think I had almost like these blinders on for four weeks where I was like just charging things on my cards. And I was just like, I'll deal with this later. I'm so like, just felt like I only had the brain power for competing and my clients. And I was like, I will deal with the cost later, um, which is not great. But for a coach, a few hundred bucks a month. Most of us are spending that in discretionary income, things like subscription services, our Netflix, our Disney Plus, clothing, going out to eat, makeup, cosmetics. Like most of us, if we're serious about competing, can find a few hundred dollars a month. Or a lot of times coaches, even like myself, we might have a lower ticket option where maybe you just have a plan, but no check-in. So you at least have something structured. So there are ways to afford that. And then lastly, the bikini. So the bikini, that's another one. You can rent a bikini for about $100 or so per show. You don't need to buy a brand new bikini. You can find, I would say, probably lower quality, but also lower cost bikinis on things like Etsy. Like I know at one point I had a client who had one from a suit maker in Ukraine. And some of the crystals and things were falling off, but from stage and whatnot, it looked fine. It was very sparkly. It worked. Um, eventually she went for the full bling, high quality toxic angels bikini and actually a couple of them. And she loves those now, but you can find a cheaper suit. If you have a girlfriend that's competed or even a friend, you know, gym buddy, sometimes you can even borrow, you know, you can borrow bikinis. I've loaned bikinis to posing clients and things like that, that were friends of mine, you know, people I trusted. So again, competing, yes, it's expensive, for my clients in particular, and my girl, if you're watching this or hearing this, go into the Facebook group that you still have access to. I have a little budgeting guide for my competitors. So a lot of these expenses are more so related to the show itself. When we're in an off-season phase, when we're in a building phase, the, the cost is really just your coach and maybe your supplements. And even then, if you're really struggling financially, your coach can probably give you a really minimal supplement list so that you don't have to buy everything, you know, basic stuff, your protein powder, your creatine, maybe some aminos, a multivitamin, probiotics, and that's probably it. Um, even that maybe, maybe you could even skip the aminos. So you don't, you don't need to spend a lot to compete. Um, so make it work for you. We all have constraints. We all have a budget or we all should have a budget. And I think the biggest thing for those that are struggling is probably the lack of just financial planning and discipline in general. Um, okay. So the next question is, can you still be competitive natural in the NPC? And I, I think so. Um, oh shoot. I was gonna have a photo pulled up. Absolutely. I think you can absolutely be competitive in the NPC. I've had many clients compete naturally. I've had clients place at nationals naturally. 
And uh, I think nowadays there is too much emphasis on gear, PEDs. And I think eventually we're going to have a course correction in bikini, or I hope there will be, because there is so much masculinization or the real term is virilization going on in bikini. And I don't think that's really the intent of the division. Bikini, I believe, and from what the judges tell us, it's meant to be very feminine. It's meant to be like this beautiful girl on the beach who just got an awesome spray tan and she just walked off the beach, threw on her sparkly bikini. And so when you see women where their faces are clearly changing, their jaws are clearly very square, their facial structure is starting to change, their hairline is receding, who knows what's happening to their clit, their voice might be getting deep. And that's something I get a lot of shit for is my voice, which I think is improving discontinuing THC. So that's a whole separate thing, but there's a lot of masculinization going on in bikini. And I think eventually there will be a course correction because I don't think that's what the division was intended to look like. And I think eventually as newer athletes are getting into the sport, if all the top athletes kind of look like males in their face, I don't think as many women are going to want to compete in bikini. Um, so they may even, they may even have to create a different division at some point, because I think younger women or newer women are going to realize like, Oh, I don't want to look like that. Or their men, their husbands their boyfriends are going to not want to be with women who look like that. So I think there will be a course correction, but yeah, absolutely. I did a post recently in my client Plamena. She crushed it. She won four first places, two overalls, her first show at a muscle contest here in Southern California. Like I said, I've had clients place at nationals, win their classes easily, win overalls, without the use of anabolic steroids. So I, I really don't think it's a must. I think everyone is just assuming things and you know what happens when you assume you make an ass of you and me. And I think everyone is just assuming that everyone's on steroids and that's not the case. That's really not the case. Um, I don't, I would say maybe here in California, you have more prevalence of that or in bodybuilding areas, but especially more remote areas throughout the country. I don't think as many people are using PEDs in the bikini division. So yeah, I'm, I'm starting to ramble at this point, but I think you guys get my point. It's really not necessary. So let's go into the rest of the questions. So what is my nationality? My nationality, it's a common question because I'm pale and I got dark hair. So it confuses a lot of people. I am Western European. <laughs> Basically, I am white, you guys. I am white, white, I'm very pale naturally, although I do like to rock a spray tan as often as possible. So my mom's side is English, Irish, French. My dad's side is more Eastern European, Hungarian, Polish, Russian. Um, my great grandparents on his side came over through Ellis Island back in the early 20th century or maybe late 19th century. I'm not sure. So yeah, your girl is uh, white. More is more is an Irish, Scottish last name in Shea was watered down. It eventually came from a Zemetowicz or something like that. Something, something crazy sounding. So that's my nationality. Um, can I show you guys how to do vacuum? So when somebody, when this got asked on my Instagram story, I posted a reel that I've made, but I'll do one on camera. Why not? For those on audio apologies. Um, essentially the vacuum, it's really simple. You just need to blow all of your air out and without taking a breath, you kind of pull your abs in and up through your sternum. So let's move the mic. I'm going to do three breaths and then I'll do my vacuum, you guys. So here. Okay. 
Okay, cool. So this is something as well. If you're interested, you can always book a virtual posing session with me. If you're struggling with vacuums, I will teach you and coach you how to do those. A lot of fun, very helpful for making your transverse abdominis a lot stronger for a lot of people, helps shrink their waistline. So um, very cool. When and why did I first start competing in bikini competition? So my first competition was February of 2017, the Muscle Contest Gold Coast Classic. I started my first prep at the end of 2016. And I got interested in it during grad school. So about 2012, 2013 was when I really got interested in fitness. 2011 was a rough year for Laura. Um, I had a breakup with a guy I was dating. I was working full time at the University of Notre Dame at that point. And I was just over the moon with this guy. I thought we were, you know, going to do the whole married kids, be together for everything. We broke up and I did the typical girl thing, cut my hair really short. It looked awful. Um, I stopped exercising briefly and I just ate every refined carb in sight, got very skinny fat quite quickly, which I was not used to. I was always very just skinny and that kicked me off into a whole deep dive in fitness. I did not feel like myself. I felt very, um, ugly. I did not like pictures to be taken of me. It was definitely a sad time. So even though I've never been crazy obese or anything, I relate to all of my clients when, you know, if they don't feel good about themselves, if they don't like pictures being taken of them, I understand what that feels like. I've been there. And so while I was going through this fitness journey in grad school, I became a group exercise instructor. I got my PT cert and I started meeting fellow group exercise instructors at Indiana University that were doing bodybuilding competition. So there was one gal who's doing figure. There was this one gal who was teaching the cardio hip hop classes, and she was very heavy. So she lost over 50 pounds to compete in bikini. And she would not, she would not be what you'd call competitive, but her transformation was just so dramatic, so radical. And it was very inspiring. It was very cool to see. Like she looked like a completely different person. And I was so just happy for her. Can you imagine being, you know, this, and she was very beautiful too. Like she had such a beautiful face, losing over 50 pounds and finally becoming this person you've always wanted to be. So it was just so cool. And during that time, what really helped me change my body was the, um, the weight training. And so I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with that process. And so my desire to compete really came from this love of weight training. I loved getting stronger. I love seeing my body change. I love that I could eat more calories and change my body. And I didn't have to do all this cardio and count my calories and starve myself, which is what I'd been trying to do prior to that. And so I just had this seed planted, but for about three years, 2013 to 2016, I had this crazy job in environmental remediation that kind of owned my life. I traveled 75% to 100% of the time, including weekends. We were salaried. We were not getting paid overtime. It was very rough. That job did bring me to California. So I'm very grateful for that. It was a good opportunity. Um, but yeah, I had these three years where I couldn't compete. And so I think that desire just grew stronger and stronger. And in 2016, I switched jobs. I'd had enough of the traveling, the being exhausted all the time. And so I switched careers. I had a stable job. I had predictable hours. And finally, I had the you know, ability to compete. So that's what kicked me off into that world. Okay, the next question here. This is a good one. This is a little bit juicy. Posing pet peeves hair and makeup pet peeves and how to determine your hairstyle for the stage. So I have a lot of posing pet peeves. I'm not, I'm not perfect though, you guys. I mean, there's still things with my posing. I'm always tweaking, trying to improve, learning. 
but there's a lot of common mistakes that people make. I think one is, this is just a pet peeve in general. Nowadays, you have so many posing coaches and people just want to make money. So understand that a lot of times people just want to make money. They may not actually have the right knowledge to teach you posing. Like anyone, basically nowadays, anyone who's done a bikini competition thinks that they they know enough to teach posing. And that doesn't mean that you have to be pro. There are plenty of NPC competitors who are very gifted at posing and can can do a great job teaching. You know, maybe this is someone I'm thinking of a few people in particular um, at the at the top of my mind. These are people that have probably come close to turning pro. They may not be pro, but they probably have come really close. Um, these are people that are very, very skilled in their posing and they have what it takes to teach the poses correctly and communicate the information so that even newbies can learn. So don't hire, don't hire someone that's just a national, nationally qualified competitor who's competed once. If your posing coach has only competed once, probably a flag. If your posing coach is not the same gender as you, probably a bit of a red flag, not to say males cannot teach females or females cannot teach males, but is that really the best case scenario? Probably not. You know, are there, are there maybe good ones out there? Maybe. Um, I don't know about that. (laughs) I think for bikini, you kind of need a woman's body to teach it. Um, and just in general, like, some of the common things, I think posing has gotten so much better at the amateur level. In general, you don't want to overly sexualize yourself for bikini. You don't want to be overly, you know, touching your body, touching your glutes. Um, you as an amateur competitor, you do not need to show your back. You do not need to do a big old hair flip. I know that's what a lot of us pros do on stage, but the rules are different between amateur and pros. And uh, don't try to learn from just YouTube. So hire a posing coach, invest in a posing coach. It's worth it. You can work so hard on your physique and have this incredible physique only to show it poorly and not do very well in your show. So dig in, do the practice, do the work, don't avoid the practice. You know, if you're bad at it, okay, that means you need to work extra hard. Like I was someone who was very bad at posing when I first started. And to be fair, I had My first posing coach was really bad. She taught me the wrong routine. She told me I could wear kitten heels because I was tall. That's not true. So I had a really bad starting point. And and it was only until, um, you know, my best friend at the time, Kaylee, came along and she turned pro year before me. I could really learn from her. She really understood posing at a fundamental level. You guys remember that posing is displaying your physique on stage. It's not who can do all the slick transitions and hair flips. It is hitting the poses correctly and showing your best physique in those poses. So that's a big piece of it. Um, Hair and makeup pet peeves. So I do not, and the main ones are, I do not like colored eyeshadow that matches your suit. Like if you have a green, blue, purple suit, do not go do a green, blue, or purple eye. That is not classy. It is not sophisticated. It's not very beautiful often. A lot of times it's just kind of comes off like clown makeup. So you don't want to do that. And also this is my personal preference, not to say it cannot be pulled off. I am not a big fan of the silver smoky eye, silver and black smoky eye. To me, that looks like nineties porn makeup. To me, that looks like, you know, Jameson or just think like nineties pornography, um, you know, dark makeup like that. Like a better choice would be a bronzy, goldy, brown, natural smoky eye, maybe maybe some subtle tones of purple, like more of a mauve eye. 
V does these really pretty pink eyes. Although some judges will say that they don't like that. They say that the pink can be very distracting. So I think it has to work for your hair color, your complexion, even with the spray tan. And how to determine your hairstyle for stage. So it needs to be pretty. It needs to look polished. I would encourage you to think about what your hair wants to do naturally. Like if your hair naturally is very straight and shiny and beautiful, maybe rock a straight look. If your hair naturally holds curl well, okay, awesome. Do a curly look. But if you're trying to fight your hair, that is going to be really hard. Like for me personally, my hair is curly slash wavy. So if I try to do a straight look, a lot of times I have all these like little kinks and things in my hair where it just doesn't, it doesn't look perfect. So really think about nailing your hair and makeup look and having it looked perfect. One thing I've also learned because my hair is very difficult to work with and my hair came out really terribly at my August show in South Carolina, even when professionally done, is that for me, I think I need to get blowouts before, um, my, my stage hair and makeup moving forward. And this is, this is true for a lot of women. So if you're someone who has hair that's difficult to work with, um, let's say it is kind of curly, it needs to be smoothed out, or it just naturally has like certain texture to it. You probably want to get a blowout before you get it, you know, before the show day. So that way it's easy to style for the stylist. I've done hair and makeup at times for those who, you know, their hair, or they just like left it all up in a bun and it was really curly and difficult to work with. And that stylist is not going to be able to get your hair smooth on show day where they're just doing a dry styling look, you know, blow out your hair, it gets wet. And so they can manipulate the texture of the hair. Um, what else? What else? Oh, and then, you know, for, for those like, um, like black girls or just those with like really kinky curly hair texture, you can rock that too. Like Jennifer Dory, she rocks that Jordan, uh, my friend, Ariel Barley, so I would also just encourage you to like, how do you feel most beautiful? There's not, there's not one right way in general, the long, shiny, beautiful look is great, but it could be straight. It could be curly. And, and I just encourage you to rock something that you're going to feel really beautiful in. So there's not, there's not one right answer is what I'm saying. Um, this one kind of goes back to the gear question and it's, what percent of amateurs do you think are on PEDs? And you guys, I'm going to speculate wildly. So just know that this is just me speculating based on the coaches I know, what I see, and also what I see in other parts of the country. So I would guess here in Southern California, where I'm at all these local shows here in Southern California, sometimes in NorCal, I would guess, and I'm talking bikini, maybe 50% or let's say all, all female athletes in general, you'll have wellness, you'll have figure, you have women's physique. I would probably guess about 50% in general here, here, but I think it is higher here. I think this is more of an epicenter for everything. You know, LA is right there. San Diego is right there. So the large, large, um, cosmopolitan and metropolitan area and I think there is more use here. This is also Southern California is the birthplace of the fitness industry, the birthplace of bodybuilding. These things can be highly available if you want them. So I would say it's higher here. More rural areas, the Midwest, the East Coast, um, the Pacific Northwest, you know, areas that are not as maybe densely populated. I think it is going to be much, much less, maybe like less than 25%. Who knows? Again, this is you guys, this is me speculating wildly. And I, I really encourage those that are new to bodybuilding, like particularly if you haven't competed before, 
if you don't think you, if you're not sure if bodybuilding is going to be your whole life, like it's one thing if you, if you know, and you just feel it in your bones that bodybuilding is going to be your whole life and you don't care whatever happens to you. You don't care if you get married, you don't care if you have kids. Okay. Like go for it. But in general, for most people start naturally. And, and the reason why I say like, you may not get married, you may not have kids. Like you can physically damage your body in a way with gear and PEDs where you just can't have kids. So that's, that's a main factor. And then also consider too, what I touched on earlier, virilization is a real thing. You guys, if you change your body so much and you change yourself so much where your voice is unrecognizable on the phone, if all of a sudden someone picks up the phone with you and they can't tell if they're speaking to a man or a woman, less men may be interested in dating you or marrying you or staying married to you. If you were, if you came into the relationship as a very feminine looking and sounding woman, and you're starting to change, you're changing the terms of that marriage contract with your partner. Um, so you have that, um, your facial features, if those are changing, understand these things, you guys are going to change your dating prospects. Like they really will. Those of us in bodybuilding. Okay. Maybe we understand, but even then you guys, the male bodybuilders, a lot of times they don't care if they're dating a girl that competes or not. A lot of times they actually prefer if their woman does not compete because then she is more available to help them meal prep and support them and focus on them. If like, particularly if they're say like an open bodybuilder or they're a pro bodybuilder in any division. So um, just understand that, you know, there are big consequences to these things. And I think it should be shared more. I think it should be discussed more because women have more to lose than men in terms of side effects, in terms of long-term consequences. So don't be in a rush to do anything risky. Um, and then the last question that I have here is one of them got cut off. So that's my bad. The Arnold amateur turnout has been lower since 2019. What are your predictions on size this year? So I don't really know you guys. I think there's a few reasons why the Arnold is likely smaller than it was. So obviously 2020 changed a lot of things. The Arnold did come back, although they canceled the expo in 2020. It did come back. I think a few things play into this. Number one, I believe only the overall winner gets a pro card at the Arnold Amateur. Like I believe, or at least I remember a few years ago, that's how it was. Like you have to win the bikini overall or the figure overall to earn that pro card. So it's not that many people. International competitors are allowed. So you could have a more competitive group. Like you could have athletes in, you know, really big bodybuilding hubs like Brazil coming in to compete. So you have that to play into it. Also, it's in early March, meaning you probably at a minimum needed to start your diet if you want a 12-week prep in early December. So that means through Christmas, through New Year's, you are prepping, you are dieting, you are not eating with your loved ones. Most people don't want to do that. Most people do the season during the summer, during that busy part of the year. So there's a few reasons why I think it is a bit smaller um, I think also currently right now, we'll kind of see, because from my perception, I feel like the sport is growing. I feel like bikini is growing, but at the same time, we are in a bit of an economic recession. And so at the end of the day, bodybuilding, competing, it is discretionary income. So when we are in, you know, more difficult financial times or you know, people are perceiving it as a more difficult financial time, they're going to cut back on discretionary spending. So 
Um, that's just the reality of it too. So that might play into it as well. Although from my perspective, I feel like I'm seeing the sport growing, although that may vary regionally. It may vary during times of the year. So it is what it is. Um, with all that said, I think I will wrap it up here. You guys we will just keep it kind of nice and short and sweet this week. Sammy will be back very soon. Um, I think at this point we have almost all the equipment ordered for the in-person studio location. I can't remember if I've posted that on Instagram or not, but the in-person studio space, you guys, it looks sick. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to bring this to you guys. And I just appreciate your support on this podcast so, so much. So with all that said, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a subscribe on YouTube, share it with your friends, share it with your gym bestie, your training partner, your competition squad, you know, the girls that you tag in all the posts and share all the bikini memes with, share this with them too. We will be having guests, more topics, and I'm just very excited to include you guys in all the things that are going on this year. So have a great night and I'll catch you in the next one.